Hello, welcome back uh, to Intern Investing. Today, we've got Ryan Henderson with us from Chit Chat Money. Ryan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Connor, Zane, happy to be here. I think the last time we spoke, Zane was not on. So this is our first, this is my first time, I think, in a, in a smaller conversation with you, yeah. Zane. Ryan, I, I agree. I think um, we were on Clubhouse at, at the full. That's and right. I, so I've talked with you, but never like with a Zoom or anything like not that. The, not the digital face-to-face. -face. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So Ryan, it was funny last was it last? Yeah, last weekend I went up to Delaware and I had never met Zane in person. And we've been friends for like a year now uh, after interning at The Fool. And it was just a, it's strange when you know somebody, but you see them in person for the first time. I guess you you and Brett live close, right? Yeah, Brett and I have been friends for a long time. We actually met in college, but Ian and I, uh, Ian was the other intern when I was at The Fool. Uh, we, we had like the same thing. I went down to Arizona and we like, golf together and it was like weird because we talked every week but it was like it's just a little awkward like <laughs> yeah. it's like weird being in person with them but yeah. yeah yeah it's weird you play golf a good bit uh no i'm horrendous at golf oh, i'm okay. the absolute worst but i i play like i'll join i just i'll slow down the group <laughs> i get that i get that well, let's what were you saying, saying? Like, connor came up here and we're like oh we're gonna finally get an in-person episode because like you guys have that with chit chat money and it's really nice. Like you can to see everyone on the YouTube channel and the whole time, whole weekend, we never got to it. Yeah. We never did it. Put it off. But one day my, my plan is one day when we're making millions of dollars, um, I'll just fly up and we'll have a studio somewhere Perfect. and just record episodes. So Perfect. that's the plan. Um, <laughs> but anyways, let's move on to talking about earnings. Uh, Cause that's what the title of this episode is. So, Ryan, did you get to get to hear a little bit about Match Group's uh, earnings release and what happened? Yeah, I I was listening to the conference call today. It was kind of wild. Um, it was a wild swing after they reported yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, it was uh, it was either I think it was after market Tuesday, and then yeah, sorry, they reported after market Tuesday, and then. Uh, Wednesday, they opened down like 9% or something like that and then closed the day up like 10%, I think because of the Fed meeting or something. But the mm. quarter looked fine. It was a pretty standard quarter. Um, Match Group kind of grows like it, it's never insane growth. It's pretty much like high teens, low 20%. Um, top line growth and part of that is uh, growth in users and then the other part of that is increasing revenue per user they call them payers because the user itself doesn't matter as much as a paying user matters for match group uh, but all in all the quarter looked uh, fine to me the top line was up 20 percent um, payers grew 13 percent it looks like i'm looking at it right now and then revenue per payer grew eight percent so do they do they have anything to monetize the the non-paying users like are they ad based at all so there's um there are advertisements on like tinder but it's such a small portion of the yeah. business and so the, a large chunk of the business is tinder gold which is like their subscription offering but then with some of the more emerging apps like hinge hinge is one that's sort of the biggest emerging app for them that has a lot of a la carte 
purchases that are involved with it. So mm-hmm. instead of like a, a one month subscription, you can do like you can buy an extra two likes or something like that if you're out of likes for the day kind of thing. Or you can like send someone a rose, which is like different so that they that technically is considered a payer but mm. it's not like a subscriber so gotcha. that's that's kind of a way almost like a like a lighter tier like mm-hmm. they're getting money out of more users that way yeah that makes sense um and i mean it, all in all like i i did like the quarter they uh announced a buyback for the first time in their history as a public company mm. so 12 and a half million shares outstanding i think it's equal to about four percent of their total market cap um so that's pretty good the ceo actually resigned this quarter char to be she uh, stepped in two years ago and she was planning to resign after 18 months essentially she was almost like an interim ceo and they hired the old ceo from zynga now that zynga is going to be integrated into take two which i think is the right move because i think zynga and match group actually have fairly similar business models you have different it's mobile based different brands within one company so you kind of have that subsidiary uh model and then um it's similar monetization in some ways uh i i I think zynga was more ad based but still just generally a similar model and then uh, the macro environment i guess was the big thing for them was currency exchange. So they get generate a lot of revenue in Asia Pacific and Europe and stuff like that. And with the strong dollar, they lost uh, like their reported revenue was, I want to say like four or five percentage points lower than their uh, constant currency revenue, hmm. which is a bummer, but it's pretty much unavoidable for them. I guess they could put in some hedges, but it's not, I think that's maybe wasted money for them because you never really know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think? That, yeah, do, go do ahead. Do you think their comps from? I, I know, like looking at Shopify, the revenue was up twenty two percent. We'll get to that in a bit, but the comps from last year were really difficult uh, in terms of year over year revenue growth. And so, do you think there's any similarity to Match Group? I don't really. I don't really think that was the case for match group. Um, there was, I mean, cause there's so many different cap- like metrics that are important. So last year, I'm trying to think of what happened around this time last year during COVID, they were not, not really a beneficiary in any way. They, they saw users and engagement increase substantially when everyone went home immediately. So everyone was like on the apps, uh, but then it kind of faded off because there was no, you couldn't parlay a match into a date because nothing was open. And so there was sort of that friction and that we actually saw, is it, is it possible for me to share my screen? Yeah. yeah. Just hit share on the bottom and then pull it up. Share screen. Uh, can I do that? There we go. Can you guys see that? Cannot see no. it. No. Uh-oh. Running into some problems. Well, whatever. Well, just right. just just describe it the best that you can. They they basically just showed a chart of what happened in Japan this quarter because Japan had restrictions from uh, COVID. They they, mm-hmm. they had delayed restrictions, and basically, as soon as those restrictions were lifted, users and engagement just skyrocketed in, skyrocketed in Japan. So, um, 
it, it seems like they should be it feels more like a steady compounder as opposed to any sort of one-time blip. I, I think they'll probably be growing top line in the teens for the foreseeable future. And the good, the, the really good thing about match groups business model is there's a tremendous network effect because you, the more people that join a dating app, the more valuable that app becomes. So the next potential user is more likely to join which means the cost to acquire those users shrinks for match group. So it, it's, it's that it's almost the social media network effect that Facebook benefits from where they grow just increasingly profitable at scale. They don't have to market or spend nearly as much money on marketing to acquire customers because the service sells itself. And so that leads to uh, sustained growth at scale, which I think we're seeing that with Tinder right now. And I think, kind of a gut feel i think we'll see that with hinge as well they just they're about at 100 million use monthly active users across all their services um and i think online dating is going to be a bigger world than 100 million people i imagine most single people will be on it by by within probably the next decade but do you think those, there's that's any like kind of big brain th that's galaxy brain thinking i guess yeah. it's like tam talk but do you think there's any there's sort of a cannibalistic nature to bringing out Hinge, bringing out Tinder. I, I believe they've got some more platforms as well on top of those two. Um, do you think they eat into each other? No, maybe just maybe a little bit, but not really. Hinge is a pretty different offering. Hinge, like we, I guess we're, we're all young people. We know what Tinder was just like, what a common use case looks like on Tinder. <laughs> but Hinge, Hinge is more, uh, it's higher intent. So you're, you're really looking for a, a girlfriend. You're looking for someone to, or a boyfriend, whatever, whatever the use case is. You're looking for something that's more serious in nature. Okay. And then, uh, then they have a bunch of niche apps. So there's BLK, which is, uh, these are, demographic or, or uh, demographic based. So BLK and Chispa are both for like certain niches. Like if you want to date uh, Latin Americans or whatever, or uh, black people, that's like, those are what the two apps are designed for. And then um, uh, what's the other one called? They just launched one that was really successful and I'm blanking on the name. There's so okay Cupid, I think. Okay Cupid's. Yeah. They just launched one for like single parents. Huh? Um, they were talking about this. It's quarter. crazy how many niches they yeah you know, creating. I was just, you know I was just gonna ask. Uh, kind stir. Of it's called stir. 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 What is that one about? That's the single parents. Single the, parents. Okay. But Hinge is just it's it's um you sort of have the evolution of of age brackets. So as you scale, uh, or as you age, th there's different apps that are kind of targeted for you, like. Tinder's more throughout college. I mean, that's really how it grew was college. And then Hinge is sort of post-college between, I'd say that's 20 to 30-year-olds, uh, serious daters. And then you've got Stir, which is single parents. And then there's all these demographic niche ones. And then Match.com's like 50-year-olds. But it's like, <laughs> I mean, that one's, that one's old. That one's a legacy app. But um, I, And I think that's still primarily web-based, like desktop-based, not not a mobile app, but they're, they're, those are pretty much just cash generators. They aren't really growth drivers. Most of the growth is coming from hinge and Tinder. My, uh, my computer's about to die. So I'm going to 
plug it in real quick. You're good. Right, go ahead. Yeah, yes, well, that's that. That's fascinating. I didn't. I guess I never. I never thought of. I, I never have really looked into Match Group and seeing all of those different niches that they seem to have a decent amount of success with is is interesting. Yeah, and like I don't know what management says on this or what Ryan thinks, but like, how much more can you segment the population? Right? Like, I don't know. Are you going to have like a dating app for literally every single age? Yeah, pick your flavor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but it's like, I can, I guess I can see that. I just wonder where they're going to go from a product development standpoint. Um, but, you know, th that said, it seems like it's so far down the line because what, what did they have? A hundred million users or something? I think they have yeah. way, they have a huge growth runway just in what they do in their core business now. So it's like, you know, they might not even hit that point. Yeah, that's true. So Ryan, unless you have any thoughts, any more thoughts after you um, get back situated, um, I think we'll move on to, to Dropbox, uh, but we'll, we'll leave you with your, your final thoughts here on the quarter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was listening to something Zane said there, which was the, I guess, the addressable market. And uh, Shar, the CEO, now former CEO, talked about that on the conference call. Um, and she said that they're they estimate 700 million potential users across the globe they said about 50 percent of single daters in the west are on an app but they they think there's still growth in the western markets and then they've got all these emerging markets it's still like uh taboo i guess in emerging mm -hmm. markets it's kind of become less taboo in the west but like it's I don't know. It was taboo for the longest time, and they kind of overcame that, it seems like. And I think that evolution is probably going to occur in most markets. It's too convenient and too uh, – you have so many more options, I guess. Like the chances that you'll meet someone that really uh, you're, you're likely to enjoy is higher because you're filtering through so many options, I guess. Even though that sounds – I know people prefer to meet in person. It's it's just so uh, it's so easy, I guess, with with a dating app. Yeah, I get that. Well, let's shift on over to Dropbox, another company that I'm not super familiar with. Um, Ryan, what are your thoughts on the quarter? Quarter is good. Uh, the they are basically people have probably heard of them because mm -hmm. at one point they were like a a cloud storage like. Uh, they were like a file sharing service essentially and and they were sort of one of the original cloud storage providers um, but now they're a content co collaboration service so think of google drive very similar so if you've got a team full of people and you're working on documents uh, you can do all those workflows within dropbox that's the basic business today they've been growing similar to match group they, they've grown the top line usually around it's it's high single digit user growth paying user growth and then uh increasing average revenue per user at like mid single digit so that it's been steady growth in that sense and then they've just been a cash flow machine um and they don't have a lot of incremental costs so it's it's i think it's 80 percent gross margin i think they're at about i could run the numbers real quick but uh, like 30% free cash flow margin, it continues to accelerate. And 
they uh, they're buying back just a ton of stock and people the market kind of discounts them. I think they're trading at like 10 times, roughly 10 times annual cash flow. And the market seems to not like them because it feels like old software. Yeah, it seems like it's dead. That's what yeah, I would everyone, have thought. Everyone thinks it's dead, but they've got like 18 million paying subscribers and those subscribers pay more and more each year. So obviously it's important to some people and the user base continues to grow. It's gone from, I want to say like 10 million to 18 million almost in the last five years. So it's steady growth. And once you've, let's say you're like a smaller part of a bigger company and you want to work on a, in, in some sort of content collaboration service and you choose Dropbox because there are benefits to it. They own docs and they have hello sign integrated, um, and there's uh, some analytics and stuff you get that you don't get with like Google Drive. You can you use it in one part, and then when you add new people uh, to your team, or, or you move to a different service, or, or someone in the company sees you using it, there's sort of that viral effect within companies, and they say that's a lot of how it starts. Um, but I mean, really, the story here is that it's quality company not a super high quality company but a quality business that trades at 10 times cash flow and is buying back an insane amount of stock they are they repurchased so for reference they did 130 million dollars in free cash flow this quarter that that was the figure that they reported wow let me just see what the uh yeah 130.7 million and that was slightly higher i'm guessing i'm just kind of doing the numbers in my head but probably 15 percent higher than last year so 130 million dollars in free cash flow bought back 260 million dollars in stock so buying back 200 percent of their cash flow uh in stock each quarter and at that rate if they if you annualize that it's 13 percent of their shares outstanding this year uh, and they they've been super aggressive with it that's and, from like apple level share repurchases well they're able to do it because they're so cheap um they've also got 1.7 billion in cash yeah and some of that was raised by convertible notes but i think yeah. the convertibles will uh convert to stock i, th I think they're doing 2026 and 2028 um but and they they estimate right now i believe they're at 700 million dollars in free cash flow for last year. They estimate that they'll get to a billion dollars in free cash flow by 2024. That's their goal. If you tr if if they buy back a billion dollars worth of stock every year, it, it, the and the valuation stays where it's at, they're going to grow easily. The stock would stay easily north of 10%. So if they traded 10 10 times free cash flow in 5 years and they've bought back 5 billion dollars worth of their own stock, it would still be, I'm trying to, I guess we're in the numbers in my head, but the, we come out to like a 15% IRR was, was our estimate. And mm -hmm. they just seem to be uh, continuing along with all of our assumptions that we've kind of made. We don't expect this to grow super fast, but it, it grew 10% top line. That's not a dying business to me. Yeah, it's true. I just, I just wonder what the value proposition is when you're looking at, Google Drive, you know, I mean, it's free. It offers 
almost everything you could ever need. I guess, is, are there certain business aspects that make Dropbox? Uh, I, I've heard there's there's higher storage in some cases, right? For Dropbox, is that something that I? Yeah, it's more designed to meet like businesses' needs, like small mm. teams. Um, so there's just different there's different like security controls around it. Docsend has a lot of uh, document workflow tools that Google doesn't provide. So th they acquired that last year and that has like analytics and security <laughs> controls where if you share a file, you can see like where people spent time you can give like passwords to get into that file and you can give there's there's a lot of analytics around it that you get um that you don't quite get with google and then there's just uh like i said hello signs integrated as well so you can basically from the initiation of a document to signing and sending it somewhere can all be done within dropbox from like like building editing sending uh signing it's all done within the same workspace and so it, that's kind of a big moat test too right they have there's microsoft office 365 which gets bundled with or all the suite all the office suite products get bundled with microsoft's other services there's google drive which is literally free there's apple competes to some extent with icloud but it's not really that's not really the content collaboration stuff and in all that time that they've had all these subsidized competitors, they've grown users by 7 million subscribers, I guess. So they're, and they've, and they've increased prices. So it seems like they, that's kind of a test of their moat and they've passed. Yeah. That's so interesting. That fascinates me. Those numbers bring up some question marks in my head that I'd like to like to dig into. It brings up not, marks of how the stock is trading below its IPO price. Yeah, I mean, it's just been multiple compression for the last, I think, four years. The, I think a lot of people just think it's a terrible business, but I don't know. If, if I can get a business that grows decently, trades it 10 times cash flow, and is buying back 13% of its shares every year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty You're it's You're pretty going good. to get... It doesn't require it doesn't require a lot of growth to succeed to succeed as an investment, which uh, has been. I would have thought it would do better these last few months, given how much everything else has sold off, and it's kind of in the value factor. Mm -hmm. But it's sold off with it, which is kind of surprising to me. This is a stock that we like. I owned it around this price like two years ago. Sold it. And then it came back down to the price and nothing changed. I was like, okay, like I'll take it again. If, if you'll, if, if the market's going to give it to me at 10 yeah. times cash flow, I'll take it. But it, uh, like, it's not a one. I, there are other businesses that are better like Shopify, like match group, but the returns could be better in Dropbox. Yeah, that makes sense. I just think when I'm, this isn't a business that I don't, I, I don't think I would own a business like this. Just because it's not, I don't see the future potential here. And I understand that might not be in the thesis is where is this company going to be in 10 years? What customers is it going to bring along? Like I get the 13% a year in, in stock repurchases and how that would just continue to compound and make it a great investment. But at the same time, 
I'd like there to be a little bit of a, you know, like look at growth. Google, for example. Yeah, I'd, I'd like there to be some growth. And that just is partly because I have, you know, grown up as an investor around the fool, I think. And, and it's those biases just, just come that way. Yeah. We yeah. started investing when money was free and it was like easy to make money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> My hopes. It is. Uh, I mean, that is the thing now is a lot of stuff in high growth land and some of those really high quality businesses that have just been destroyed lately. That's sort of the opportunity cost now. So we have to weigh like, like I don't, I think Dropbox is a sound 10% plus return, but you can get a riskier, potentially higher return in some of these companies that maybe don't have the cash flow yet, but are investing back heavily into the business. Um, Shopify is one that comes to mind. Like, you're, I don't know. There's just give and take with that. The, and it's last year it was easier to make this decision. Now it's a little tougher because there's there's so many other options out there yeah yeah definitely if you if you like value right now is a, a good time i mean i think everybody likes value honestly but right now is a good time to be looking at a lot of names out there including shopify um yeah that's been it's down what 75 percent yeah we, we thought we got a good deal connor we really did it is down 65 percent um, in the last year, probably around 75% off, off its highs, I would think. So they came out with their, well, first I'll start with this. I thought about buying Shopify in, I've told Zane this story before. I thought about buying Shopify in 2018 or maybe it was 2019. The reason I did not buy it was because I just, I, I didn't believe the growth story that, that was being told to me. I, I thought it was just drop shipping people buying stuff on Alibaba, reselling it here in the US. That's literally what I thought their business model was gonna be with their their web hosting. And so I was like, what's so special about this? Why is it trading at this multiple? Um, this, that was back when they were around $100 a share, maybe less than that. Uh, but I still didn't believe in the business. And it's come along, it went up above $1,000 a share at one point, and now it is back down to around $400 a share. So, <laughs> you know, what, what goes around comes around uh, when you're playing with, with high multiple stocks, and Shopify is, is no different. So they had um, 22% uh, revenue increase in Q1 year over year this year. Um, their earnings per share was $0.20 cents per share, which was actually down 90% this year. Um, and then I I believe some of that is is some of that due to their acquisition. Would that would that hit their? Is, I am I correct in assuming that? I don't look, but I assume it's mark to market on some of their invested okay. investments. Yeah. So one of the things that happened is well, they I don't know if this is all of it, but a lot of it is like accounting, right? I look at this quarter and I'm like, all the metrics that you got to pay attention to are doing pretty well, like gross market value. Are they getting more subscribers on the platform? Um, but what, there's one item, it was like other revenues, um, and I forget what companies they invested in. It was some, some equities that are down. One of them is actually, um, what is that? Um, basically pay, buy now, pay later company. A firm? A firm. And globally is the other yeah, one. Yeah, globally is the other one. So both of them got crushed like 40% this quarter. And by being an investor in that, they have to kind of mark down their, their uh, investments. So it's not really a cash thing that hurts their business long run, but it looks really bad. Yeah. Right now. 
But the same the same way we haven't lost money until we've sold. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same for them, yeah. but they have to account. They have to say that they lost money. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, it's the same way that uh, Teladoc didn't really lose $6 billion. Yeah. It's, but, you know. That one might be a little more material, but yeah. yeah. The, uh, but like, it, it really isn't. It, Zane said it, it's not a cash charge. So they aren't actually losing that money. And I assume they aren't planning to sell it anytime soon. So until they do sell it, don't lose money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do want to say for people watching, if you do want to leave any comments or questions, please put them in. Love to answer them uh, if you get the chance to. So, um, but yeah, so I want to talk about Shopify's acquisition of a company called Deliver. It was $1.2 billion. And honestly, I think this was the most necessary um, $1.2 billion that Shopify could spend. And the reason I say that is Deliver is a company, it's a supply chain company that's going and logistics business that's going to help them with next day or two day shipping. And that's been the problem with, or that, that has been what has made Amazon e-commerce, Amazon, honestly, is prime shipping. The fact that you can get things in two, day, two days. And, and it's been that way for almost a decade now. And I think, I want to get y'all's thoughts on this, but in five years, do y'all think two-day shipping is going to be special? Like, I think you're just going to be able to go to any website and get free or very cheap two-day shipping. And probably a lot of those might be on on Shopify. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of the case. Well, at least I would say I don't think consumers are going to really roll back their expectations. Like once you have something, right, then it's like, oh, I need that. Like if you if you never had AC in your house and then you get it, uh, you're like, oh, this is great. Take it away. And you feel like you lost something, um, even if you didn't have it before. So I feel like the expectation is going to be there. And therefore, companies are going to keep pushing for that, especially now there's going to be so much investment in supply chain um, and logistics companies and, and innovations in that space. Like one stat uh, that I looked at the other day was that in the first nine months of 2021, startups for supply chain technology raised 58% more than all of 2020, uh, just on an absolute uh, tear in the supply chain startup market there. It, Yeah, I, I think Zane hit the nail on the head. Like two-day delivery is expected now because Amazon's basically set the tone with that. Um, my concern is that, I, I don't know if you guys heard, uh, I think it was like two weeks ago, Amazon or Shopify announced that it was mostly an Amazon announcement that they are going to allow buy with prime functionality mm. on alternative sites. Right. And Shopify is one of those. So if you go to checkout and you're a customer, let's say you're going to the Allbirds website. And I guess for anyone who doesn't know Allbirds, it's like the, uh, they sell like shoes or whatever. And they use Shopify. If you go to the Allbirds website, and then you've got a Prime account, as most Americans do, and you go to the checkout process, and you know that you can get Prime-level delivery, right? Which is like they've really already set the tone for the best-in-class delivery. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to take that, which means the payments volume is going uh, Amazon. And, then, and so I kind of am reluctant to... 
for me, Shopify's core competency is making it really easy to sell online. It's not logistics. They're not going to be able to compete. That That's my concern is they can't compete with Amazon mm-hmm. logistics. Amazon's spending whatever it is, $60 billion a year in, in CapEx to build out logistics and Shopify's spending half half a billion. Like it's going to be tough. So I sometimes worry that maybe the investments are going the wrong way. Maybe they got to do something mm-hmm. more on the digital side to attract more uh, merchants and and less less focus on the logistics side. It, it just feels like they're going to be fighting an uphill battle. Yeah, yeah. T- Toby Lukey actually talked about that uh, in the earnings call. He said, just pulled this up. So we are actually thrilled that Amazon making a decision to take the amazing infrastructure that they've built because they have a second to none infrastructure and want to share this broadly with small merchants across the internet. So we are happy to integrate this into Shopify just in the same way how we integrated what the infrastructure that Meta built, the infrastructure that Google built and the infrastructure that TikTok built and so on. So this fits perfectly into our build view. It's not nearly as um, some people make it out to be. Whatever is good for merchants is... Uh, good for us. That will cause more entrepreneurship, which is exactly what is helping the vision of the company. So I feel like that's a good response. But at the same time, bro, you just spent $1.2 billion. Like I, I get what you're saying, Ryan. Um, yeah. Like obviously they know? care about logistics if they're if they're putting that much money behind it. Mm-hmm. I, maybe I haven't thought through it necessarily all the way, but doesn't, the, doesn't a bulk of uh, Shopify's revenue come from uh volume like volume based revenue not subscriptions uh honestly i'm not sure yeah i don't know the breakdown but i know they get so they have the subscriptions um and then by by volume i don't i don't know if there's like a like a something that's scaled with gmv but they also have like like you were saying with the dating apps they have like the a la carte like take what what you want they offer those kind of products to merchants like if you want i don't know upgraded analytics or or whatever it might be they cannot kind of offer like upgraded platforms okay okay that's i mean that's that's really where their value is for me is like being able to make it like if i'm a merchant you can shopify has already made it so easy like expanding on that and and giving whether it's analytics or or different subscriptions uh that 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 seems like pretty valuable to me if if i can use prime to to actually move the goods i probably would yeah just keep an asset light yeah not try to build out logistics yourself i totally get that yeah and i don't even think I don't think buy with prime is going to be available until like two years from now. So they're going to have all that GMV on their platform for the next two years. I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's room for Shopify to build out in the next two years to give some sort of a competitive offering that they That'd can do two day themselves. That'd be tough. And maybe not two day everywhere, but yeah. in big metropolitan areas or something like that. Yeah. It would be interesting. There's, I was reading this fascinating article the other day about logistics in China and how concentrated all of their populations are. And there's, it's a, it's a subsidiary of Alibaba and it's basically same day shipping 
everywhere in all major cities in China. And it's just a robot vehicle that shows up to your door and you go pick up the, the box from that robot. It's fascinating to me. And I wonder, I, I don't know if that is as feasible. I mean, I know it's not as likely to happen here in the U.S. because our populations are so spread out. But talk about concentrated cities. I mean, I think there's maybe something to be said there. Yeah, I'm not even. Do you know what deliver? It's like two R's, right? Deliver. Yeah, two R. Uh, do you know what exactly their offering is? Like what they do? So they they are a supply chain and logistics company that will help them reach two day and one day shipping. That's all I know. Um, I I, I don't <laughs> know much more about it. Earnings came out this morning, so I haven't gotten to dive much into that. But that's kind of all I got from from their earnings call. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. It, it, even Amazon said they overbuilt too. So it's like, maybe they're trying to use this extra capacity to fulfill other mm. platforms orders. Yeah. But it, it, it would make me reluctant. I always get just a little cautious or skittish when I see a, a digital high margin, business go after something that could potentially expand the top line but you know is going to hurt margins and is going to be capex intensive like like a building out some really extensive supply chain yeah yeah i can see that too i was just gonna uh share my screen real quick and just like go through just like a couple of highlights to kind of can you guys see that yep. yeah I mean, this is like what they what they show for deliver and their order. And just just kind of explain it while you're walking through it for people that are listening. Yeah, well, I was it. just kind of like touching on this to like I guess show what deliver does. But I was really going for um, just some of the the numbers that they had and why I thought it was actually a pretty good quarter. Um, let me see if I can find that. There we go. Well, first of all, I thought the story was pretty interesting. So I, I kind of see this as like a marketing slide in a way, right? Um, management's like, hey, our GMV was actually pretty good, right? We're still on pace with that lower growth rate of, of 53% a year. Um, it's just like we had such a huge pandemic boost um, that, you know, we're still on, on normal pace, which, you know, I, I kind of buy. I think the business is, is still strong. Yeah, they, go, they talk go, a lot about the markets. Okay, you see Q4 18 and then Q1 19 kind of? Yeah. Okay, it feels, although there was sort of a bigger jump up from Q1 18 to Q1 19. In that time period, you maybe would have said something similar like, uh, this is not, you know, it wasn't that great of growth. I can't really tell what the difference would be there. But mm -hmm. then you zoom out and like the overall tailwind is going to make it look like a tiny blip in a yeah. few years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why um, I, I guess I'll plug a, a company that I like. It's called Hypercharts. I love um, looking at like charts on there because it makes it so easy to zoom out and do exactly that and see where's the trend actually going rather than, you know, just being all about today's numbers uh, or whatever it is. But that's it. Right, Hypercharts. Sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, today's numbers. So like GMV was up 16% um, and the revenue grew 22%. Um, and and I believe I was actually, I was listening to Brian Feraldi and Brian Stoffel's coverage of Shopify earnings and they did a great job. I'd recommend them. Um, They're talking about how 
they actually had more sales in kind of the add-on um, like additional like products and, and the software that they're selling to um, to the merchants that are already on the platform rather mm -hmm. than like subscriber growth, which is interesting. So I, in my mind, I kind of think of it as like a, a net dollar retention being strong because, you know, customers that are on the platform are actually um, spending more. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's good to see for yeah. sure. For sure. But overall, like the market reaction on Shopify today, sending it down 15%. I mean, I get it. The market views things short term in the short term. Um, you know, long-term perception is kind of skewed, you know, when you're looking at a maybe poor, poor quarter. I wouldn't say this is a poor quarter by any means, but there's just some major questions. When you see a company shift from something that it's been for years and try to get into logistics, I can, I can kind of understand why some investors might just jump ship and be like, okay, this isn't what I bought this company to do. And so I'm out. Like, I understand that it's not thesis breaking, but maybe your decade long view of where the company will be changes a little bit. I mean, it's still, yeah, it's still a pretty remarkable business. Like, if you just think about what would a really good business model look like, it's you build software that is customizable to any single individual. They can sign on and they pay you constantly and like a subscription. And then they also pay you as a chunk of what they're selling on the platform. Like it, it's really scalable it, yeah. and they have the e-commerce tailwind and they're always, I mean, they're, even though it doesn't feel like a tailwind right now because of the COVID comps, it's still, a. I mean, yeah, that's a really I, good point. It's a really good point. I think their business model is built on two rock solid things being like the U S GDP. Well, honestly, like who, who knows, but you know, it's like if there are more businesses that can use Shopify, there's more businesses that will. And then like the e-commerce trend, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Yeah. They're that's, also like that, the, I was just saying, they're like the household name when it comes to setting up a shop online. Yeah. It, like you don't you go to big commerce. Yeah. You, there are alternatives, but Shopify has pretty much won if you're, if you're a merchant. Yeah. yeah and especially a, a high level e-commerce merchant too. Like if, if you need a lot of those analytics, Shopify is the one to go to. Um, but I, I wonder all right, let's do some let's do some uh, some bets here. Okay, so this quarter they had gross merchandise volume of forty three billion dollars. That puts them okay. We'll just run that out the rest of this year. Let's just call it an even two hundred billion in gross merchandise volume by twenty twenty five. So give it give it about you know three years, maybe a little less than three years. What do you think their GMB is going to be? Do you think it'll be over 500 billion or under hmm. this is also the uh it'll be over the I, I think the this is also the seasonally the lowest period right yes it is next so, quarter i think is is the hottest quarter i believe or may, do, no that's that's uh that's q4 sorry yeah do you know how much they did in gmv last quarter i'm assuming it's like probably 70 or 80 billion maybe 60 
Um, yeah, I can pull it up real quick. If you and if you annualize that, it's gonna look a hell of a lot better, probably. Yeah, make so it I, even easier. And they may have had over two hundred um, last year. Yeah, last year. Yeah, they might have. Um, I would think over. Yeah, yeah I would I definitely would, think over. Yeah, I'm going over too. Yeah. I don't know if it will come in the form of new merchants, though. I think it'll become like that'll be a part of it, but I imagine most of the growth will come from like existing merchants. Yeah, I think that's probably the case as well. That's at least what we're seeing now. I just wanted to share this as well because I think it's a really cool way to look at like their funnel and like how they have different offerings for. Um, different levels and like different size businesses. Uh, here it is, right? Like an idea of how much you're spending um, and how they cater to everybody, no matter your business. I think it's just like an easy way to digest that. So yeah. it was 54 billion in GMV for the fourth quarter. It was 175 for full year 2021. So yeah, 500 is. I don't know. It might be a lot then. Yeah. Maybe have. maybe it was a better. I'm I'm like Vegas setting up the perfect lines. So I don't know the. Uh, do you know what their take rate is on? Like I, I, what, what, I guess just generally, what's the, what was their revenue for the quarter? Um, for Q1 was 1.3, I believe. 1.2. 1.2 was for the quarter. Okay. What is that like? That's, I mean, 3% of GMV or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But that's not really direct. Yeah. It's probably like, subscription. like, yeah, 1% or half a percent somewhere around there. So, cool. well, I think that concludes everything. Um, we did get one comment. Daniel Kazimi said, Hey guys, Daniel, I don't see <laughs> okay. you on here anymore, but hello. Thank you for tuning in. Um, thank you for all the people who came in and out of this episode. That was a lot of fun. If you're listening to the podcast, um, we hope we didn't show too many visuals, but if you are listening on Spotify or on Apple podcast, please like, and subscribe. We haven't talked about this much at all, but in order to, to boost the podcast on Apple and Spotify, we need um, your, uh, your rating. So please give us those if you can. And thank you, Ryan, for coming on today. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, guys. That was uh, I enjoyed. That was kind of a a grievance period for my match group shares, but that's okay. <laughs> gotta have it. Gotta process. <laughs> All right. Well, I was gonna say lo losing money together is better than losing money alone. <laughs> it is. Everybody's losing money money together right now. So, well, we will catch you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in.